Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Zorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Today we are now exploring the fifth installment of the chakra series, looking at Vishuddha chakra, the throat chakra. So leading up to this point of, you know, exploring all these chakras, so I really hope that you had a chance to listen to the first four episodes leading up to this chakra because the information in this one gets a little more dense, a little deeper, and because it becomes more esoteric, it goes into the realm of consciousness and awareness and seeming enlightenment that typically goes over the head of most people. And there's some things that I'm going to go into, a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what Vishuddha is and how to approach it that we really have to remove ourselves from the conditioning that we have in regards to our beliefs and our perspectives understanding awareness and consciousness and that's why it's important to kind of do a step-by-step process of looking at each chakra individually starting from you know the root chakra moving all the way up so let's start with this the element of vishuddha chakra is ether or space and the way that i like to think of this is the night sky so you know Anahata is air and it's more associated with, you know, the open blue sky. And as soon as nighttime comes, we (coughs) see then that space unveils the universe, right? And the spaciousness of just all that there is in this world, right? And that's where the color of this mantra can be black though it is also typical to be um, like a kind of blue or even white. So I'm going to throw a picture up here. And if uh, you're just listening to this, I know I've said this so many times now, and I, for the life of me, I keep forgetting to actually put the link up of where I find these images on Google. So I'm going to do my best to remember and put it up. However, the image that I found was similar to all the ones that I've shown. And in this case, the kind of background is a little light purple. The petals are purple. And the the most important thing is the symbol 
the bija mantra which is ham h-a-m ham and how the the background is is white but like i said because it has to do with space as well the color can be black also and we're not going to get too much into the deities um, because that's not really the realm that I've investigated with understanding the chakras. It's more so the etymology of the word. It's more so the location. It's more so misconceptions about it. And really the practices involved in how to have experiences in the yoga practice to go into the chakras per se. And this may not be a typical thing that we normally hear about the throat chakra and Bishuddha, but the sense that's associated with it is hearing, right? So that I'm going to get into a little bit more when I talk about um, the idea about communication. But first, Bishuddha translates to purity. And purity in the sense that consciousness is no longer restrained by the limitations of the first four chakras. And the way that we can tell that the purity of Vishuddha is not in this dualistic state of pure and impure, and that it's more so on this duality between limitation and and non-limitation is that within Vishuddha, time of the past, present, and future is all in one duration. And this is actually quite complicated to grasp within our consciousness of limitation of understanding time as this function of space, right? That there's space in what we know of this world and that time is a variable of space and how we move through it and yet if we were to look at the inverse of of our reality so the the inverse of um, physicality so non-physicality you s start to experience time in a whole new way of experience and i have a really powerful intense story to tell near the end of this of my experience of this and so we're working our way through consciousness through this whole journey of understanding the chakras and that the exploration and the journey of of consciousness is something that's very limited and very dense and then over the growth in and up through the chakras that the limitations start to go away from very dense packed earth to fluid water to um, engulfing fire to to expansive air to ever expansive space and beyond right so here's where i'd like to get into a common misconception about vishuddha and i'd like to just pull up the image again so you guys can see this um, if you guys again are listening to this just check out the image um, just to get a good sense of of what we're looking at here so a common misconception with Vishuddha is that it can be blocked and that it's blocked by either ill communication 
or insecurity around commu uh, communication that there's something with communication that's blocking Vishuddha. This I've come to realize is not possible simply because Vishuddha is now in a realm where it's beyond the limitations of physicality. And so in all truth, it cannot be blocked. And I think what's happening is that people are mistaking whether or not there's blockages with awareness within it. So the misconception actually stems from a lack of understanding of what part of the body is associated with what chakra. So if we if you go if you were to have listened to the Svadhisthana chakra, you would have learned that Svadhisthana is associated with the tongue, right? Pleasure. Because the ability to speak and the ability to eat come from the from having the tongue, right? And typically we like talking. Talking is pleasurable. Being able to communicate to one another is pleasurable, even if it's, you know, on this whatever spectrum of emotion, if it's a positive or negative thing, for whatever reason, there's still some kind of pleasure in being able to communicate. And then with that, there's the pleasure of eating. And this pleasure is associated with, with Svadhisthana, right? And Svadhisthana is located at the reproductive organs. And so if there's a blockage in speech, because it seems to make sense that because, um, you know, the basic understanding of Vishuddha being a part of communication is that we think there's a blockage in our throat when in fact the blockage is actually in Svadhisthana. That if you have insecurities or you have ill intentions or you have something within you where the way that you speak is bringing about harm to others that is a toxicity within the waters of your being that's not a toxicity within the space of your being because within the space of your being there's freedom and there's liberation because you're moving towards something greater and something higher in the realm of bliss and beyond so it doesn't make sense that there can be a blockage in vishuddha and that there's this like blockage in communication in that realm what's happening is that if you have blockages in the lower chakras it means that the gateway to Vishuddha is not accessible because there's an initiation that takes place to go from the heart to the throat. Just like how there's an initiation from Manipura to the heart, right? There's that big gap and then there's another gap here. And so the way in to Vishuddha is through the heart. And this is something that I brought up in the Anahata episode where we think that um, because on our, you know, an anatomically speaking, the chakras are um, stacked over top of each other, that going into the heart means going up into the throat. But it's actually into the heart that once we go into the heart, that the path is forward, it's horizontal, and that we enter into Vishuddha as if we're entering into a doorway, we're entering into a portal, and we're entering into the realm of Vishuddha. And that is what needs to be cleared up in the yoga community, because I don't really hear people say that. And sometimes when I do communicate to that people, it's offsetting because 
it's taught so widely that, oh, if you have a blockage in, in your throat, you're not going to be able to communicate your truth. You're not going to be able to communicate what you're authentic about. That seems to make sense. But this chakra has almost nothing to do with your physicality because now you're going into the spaciousness. You're going deeper into your consciousness. You're going deeper into your awareness. And so it almost has nothing to do with communication. But what can come about from going into Vishuddha is that you have access to knowledge and wisdom that is beyond your comprehension of this physical world. And so what comes through your speech is that there's a representation of that wisdom. And so really, Vishuddha acts as a beacon to then connect to Svadhisthana and connect to your lower chakras in a way where you bring that purity through them. And so that when you do speak, and you're actually speaking from Svadhisthana, that you are introducing purity into your speech. And I think that is a little bit more accurate than thinking that you have all these blockages, right? Where people seem to kind of make these like coincidental associations, like they're talking, you know, they have like, they swallow a little bit of like, um, saliva or water into their pa air passion. They go, oh, 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 that must be a, a block in my vision. No, <laughs> it's just that you swallowed something, like clear your throat and, you know, go into understanding Vishuddha in a more deeper meditative experience. Go into Vishuddha and understand it through powerful yogic experiences, right? So, An example of a powerful yogic experience is kundalini. Kundalini yoga is a great way of exploring the chakras and a great way to get into Vishuddha where it's not done through like this medium where we're talking about it and we're kind of trying to deduce what the truth is. Like I can share some things to bring light to what it all means. However, I can't do anything to you to have you experience Vishuddha just from me talking about it, right? You're going to actually have to go and do the work, do the exercises, do the chanting, do the breathing, do the moving, do the focusing, do all the things so that it starts to actually unravel and unveil to you the power of this center, and through this kind of practice, what you find is that there's another gateway. So you're going through a practice. You've worked on the lower chakras. You know, you've hit Manipura, and you see that there's a gateway to lead into the heart. So that's the like the first initiation point. So you get into the heart. You feel really good. You do some healing. Um, just like in my example, you do some healing around your mother or your father or your siblings or some trauma, whatever, right? Then the next gateway is getting into Vishuddha. And so from there, when you do that healing, suddenly you're ushered into this realm and you can start to let go of your attachments to your body. You can start to let go of your attachments to your traumas and your stories and your beliefs and your biases and whatever and so forth. Then there's the next gateway into Ajna, into Sahasrara, 
and then out the crown. So I'm not going to go too much into that because that's two more chakras we have to um, explore. But you can see that there is and are initiation rites. That these energy sensors are very well aware that you are doing these things. And the reason why there's an awareness in these centers is because beyond Sahasrara, there is another realm where there are actually ascended masters and there are actually enlightened beings who have done this yoga practice for thousands of lifetimes and they're in that realm. And they're bestowing to you as you start to go on this practice it's synchronicities and guidance and information so that you too can start this process right because we're seemingly at the beginning of this yoga in the western world is really new only within the last 200 years but in india yoga has been around for thousands of years so that had the opportunity for a lot of people to practice and to get into this understanding of consciousness and awareness and enter into these higher realms and ascend into these higher realms and now they're looking down on us and they're saying okay who are the ones that are going to be the initiates it's going to be this person it's going to be this person i feel like i am i've gone through many initiations i've gone through many experiences and that's why i feel like i have the wherewithal to speak about these things and to present it the way that I am. When considering Kundalini, it's, it's really important to understand where you're getting the teaching from. And this is difficult um, because what has grown very popular here in the West is Yogi Bhajan Kundalini. I've done Yogi Bhajan Kundalini several times it's, it can be powerful. I find that it didn't really do much for me. It, um, it was a lot of weird movements and it was really just focused on um, this like rudimentary, um, repetitive, um, fast paced movement. But I felt that like there wasn't really substance to it. There wasn't really a guidance through our energetic system. It was just wag your tongue for 20 minutes. Ah, around, and around and around and around and around and around. Just wag your tongue, just wag your tongue. And that to me didn't seem like there was a substance to it that would actually allow me to have a deeper experience with my consciousness or awareness. So what I found was that my teacher, Yoga Rishi Vishvaketu, and his school, Akanda Yoga, his classical kundalini series and sequence really touched on how powerful uh, kundalini can be. And so I'm just going to go into a little story about my experience with one kundalini class that I had with him in his ashram when I was doing... I believe it was the 300 hour teacher training that we, so a typical day at the ashram is you wake up at around 4.45 a.m. Meditation starts at 5.20 and it goes on till 5.50, so 30 minutes. And then there's a yoga class from 6 a.m. to 7.30 or a little bit more. 
usually in the Kundalini classes, it's a, it's about 15 minutes longer, so 6 a.m. to 7.45. So one particular day, we're doing a Kundalini class, and other than the Kundalini class that I did back in 2012, I had this massive heart opening that I talked about in the Anahata video. This time, I had a very clear opening awareness of Vishuddha. So we went through the whole sequence. We, um, you know, we went up through each chakra, first, second, third, fourth. We do an exercise, some kind of movement. We do um, an asana with that movement. We do um, the bija mantra. Then we do, uh, or we do some kind of breathing technique. We do the bija mantra and then we meditate. So we we're doing that through the all, each one. And then when you get to Vishuddha, you actually lay in your back in Savasana and you just vocalize, you just like let sound out. And there was a point where I stopped making sound and I'm laying on my back and I start to subtly vibrate. And this vibration seems to go and ripple out around my body. And I can feel how this ripple of energy is rising up my feet, rising up my spine, going into my throat and expanding out and then expanding out around my body. And I feel myself expanding and getting bigger. Like I'm no longer just confined to my body. I'm no longer this awareness that only has the feeling of the outside edges of where my skin is that suddenly I'm going beyond it and I'm growing and I'm expanding and I feel myself floating above my body and I feel myself going smaller in my body as well. And then he, uh, my teacher Visuji leads us into, um, you know, out of, out of the practice or not out of the practice, but um, leads us into Shavasana, gets us to just relax and we end the practice by doing Shavasana for about, you know, 12, 15 minutes, um, and then coming up into meditation. And I feel myself in the meditation so expansive. I feel like I'm in the element of Vishuddha. I'm in that spaciousness. I'm in that, that totality of time being one single duration. Then we end the class come back to myself. I still feel this expansion. I'm, I'm feeling so good. I'm feeling so light. And so, you know, we get up, pack up my things and I'm walking down the stairs down towards my room. And I just, I feel myself, I'm still in this state, even though I'm walking, I feel like I'm like five steps behind me and I can see myself walking down the stairs and I'm looking through my eyes at the same time but I'm still feeling this state. It's very, it's very clear to me that I'm still in it. There's this sense of wisdom and there's a sense of trust in, in being something more expansive than myself. And I hear this little voice that says, don't eat breakfast, but it doesn't elaborate anymore. But I'm, I'm feeling a little hungry, I'm not too hungry, but I go, and have breakfast anyways. And right after I eat, it's like all that expansiveness was just pulled into me suddenly 
um, like an elastic band and it just like crashed in on me and then I just felt terrible for the rest of the day and I remember going to Vishwaji and asking him like man what what happened I was feeling great I was feeling so expansive and then I ate breakfast and then it, I just feel terrible and he um, kind of compassionately he kind of like laughed a little bit and he said yeah that's that's actually typical and so you would have been right to listen to your intuition that was saying you know just ride this kind of high that you don't need food right because the idea is that because I was in this expansive state I was in this like blended non-physical state so obviously i'm still physical i'm operating my body i'm moving around but there's this etheric kind of sense of who i am and what i am and what i was identifying with that doesn't need food and so when i ate food it brought me back into my physical self but it did it in a way that was um harsh right if i would have waited till dinner and had a light dinner it would have been much smoother and so this gets me to this idea that when we get in touch with our higher consciousness, when we get in touch with this expanded state and we go deeper and deeper into it, that expanded state of consciousness and that state of our being is in a non-physical realm where there's no need for food. There's no need for any of that sustenance. It is what it is and is existing as it is in totality without any of that limitation, without the belief that, oh, I need food to survive. However, because we are grounded so intimately with the physical world, we're so grounded into our beliefs and into our limitations that the limitation of we need to eat to survive is the basis and the most important thing of what we need in order to continue our life. And so that experience to me was showing me that there's this opportunity to go into an expansive state of consciousness where, yeah, if, if, if I were attuned to it, if I like really was keen and I was actually really focusing in rather than slipping into this belief that, oh, it's time to eat, I need to eat, that I could have experimented with it. So it's like, how long can I go without eating can i can i sustain myself and like experience maybe really no hunger and ride this wave and maybe after breakfast i can i can go somewhere in the in the 15 minute time period between breakfast and the next class that i can meditate on it and then i can really develop this state and that's the lesson because I didn't do that. And instead, I ate a bunch of food. I ate more than I should have. And it just crashed this state. And it brought me back to what I think is the shift from, um, and this is just my own thoughts. I am not a full-on scientist or a neuroscientist or a brain scientist to really fully understand this but the thought that i had was that there was this shift from a beta state of consciousness to a more alpha state of consciousness and that eating all that food brought me back into that beta state and then 
I could be completely wrong. That's just the way that my mind works and how I kind of make connections to these things. So to end this episode, I want to go into a story of an experience that I had when I was 19 years old. And it relates to this process of initiation, of going into the heart, going into Vishuddha, going into Ajna and beyond, and facing the initiative gateways from one to another. But because it involves the other chakras, I'm only going to tell a part of the story, and I'm going to save the other parts of the story. It's like a little cliffhanger. So when I was 19 years old, I was working in a restaurant. I was opening the line, um, which means that, you know, I started at 3 p.m. and preparing the line for the coming dinner rush. And I remember that it was on a Tuesday afternoon in, I think, June or July, I forget. I think it was June because it was right around the solstice. And a friend of mine was with me opening the line. And just kind of randomly, I looked at him. I was like, hey, man, do you want to do mushrooms on Thursday? And he just looked at me and he said, yeah, sure. And then we just proceeded on our day, did our work day, you know, whatever. And then later on at night when we were all closing, um, he was like, Yo, man, let's um, let's have our other friends uh, join us. So there's um, three other friends that we worked together with, and we all got together to do um, these mushrooms. And because he was like, yeah, it's really interesting because we all have that day off somehow. Like two of them um, worked early in the morning. They were the prep. Um, they were the um, like prep cooks and then three of us just had the day off so it just like worked perfectly that we could all go and have this like mushroom experience together and so we're like okay like what are we gonna do and one of the friends is like yeah I have a, I have someone I know that we can get like you know an ounce of mushrooms from and I and it didn't really clue in how much that was going to be until the day came so Thursday came, you know, we all met up, met the dude, got the mushrooms, and we split it between the five of us. And what that turned out in turned out to be was about 5.5 grams each. So we went to Wendy's and just got a bunch of burgers, and I put all my mushrooms in the burgers. I had like two burgers, and we just smoked a huge joint got super baked and then i ate those i ate the burgers with the mushrooms and i totally forgot that i was even eating mushrooms because the way that i did it is i like took the bun off and peeled the cheese back a little bit and put the mushrooms in between the patty and the cheese and then so when i ate it i couldn't taste it and so by the second burger because i was so baked i just totally forgot and um and then we just kind of went off. And so we got out of the car and we just started walking around. And then it hit me. And I just started to remember. I just like, I felt it like rise up my spine. I felt it tingling in my cheeks. And I was just like, holy shit. I just ate like five grams of mushrooms. 
And little did I know that this is called a hero dose. And remember, I'm 19 years old, right? Like the first time I did mushrooms when I was like 16. And, you know, even though at that time I was still like my first time in mushrooms was like four grams. And then my second time was like four grams again. My third time was four grams. And, you know, a, a couple other times were a little bit less. But this one was wildly different. And I'm going to spare the details too much because I want to get to the point of where um, the transformative, powerful experience came. So we went on this like just ridiculous adventure around downtown Edmonton of um, walking around downtown, going across the high level bridge and going into parks and trying to play hacky sack and just like feeling ridiculous. Cause like this hacky sack is flying around and I like, I, you know, I just, I'm like mush. I can't even do anything to the point where we decide to go back to one of my friend's apartments and this whole time my hands have been talking to me and I would look at my hands and I'd look at my left hand. I look at my right hand. My left hand would be like, I'm your left hand. My right hand would be like, and I'm your right hand. And they were unanimously agreed that they do not touch. They do not make fists. They do not go in my pockets. They don't touch. They just stay open enough to be comfortable with space in between the fingers and that's the way they did. And I did these little experiments where I would clasp my hands together and I'd feel like my hands shake and I'd feel this tension between my hands and then how like they just hated it. Right. To the point where when we got up to my friends, uh, or no, to the point where, um, my hands were doing this weird thing where I'd look at them and I'd see these like pulsations, like there's something moving underneath the skin and it's like pulsating my fingers to be fatter and then skinnier and then my hand. And I remember showing my friends and they, and I was like, am I tripping out or do you guys like see this? And they looked at my hands and they were like, holy shit, what is happening? And I just kind of deduced it that it was all the poison from the mushrooms, just kind of like, um, ballooning my hands. I don't know. Um, that's a whole side note, but this is where it gets into how the whole trip changed. So we went on this whole journey around downtown and my friend is like, let's go back to my place and let's just chill there. You know, he, he was starting to feel weird. He was starting to feel a little antsy and you kind of tell that um, possibly we're getting into the peak and he's starting to have a little bit of a bad trip. So he's like, okay, let's, let's go to my place. So we, we get to his apartment building and he realizes he left his keys in his apartment. And so we're just standing in the, in the front entrance, not even in the lobby, just the front entrance. And we're all panicking because we're like, holy shit. Like, first of all, we're super high on mushrooms. Second of all, we don't know what to do. My friend is starting to panic. And I suddenly feel this intense doom. And that intense doom suddenly has a voice. And it starts to tell me, you're going to die right now. You're just, you're, you're going to die. You're about to die. 
like death like and I, and I, I just feel these shivers across my body and I'm looking around and I'm like and I and I don't say anything to them and I just have this intense thought like oh my god I'm gonna die I'm gonna die it, when I don't know and then this like impending doom just starts to build and build and build to the point where I start to think about my life and I start to think about everything that's happened to me and this in, this idea of death and this feeling of death is just coursing through me and I, I'm I'm just stuck there. I'm just stuck in this place of what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen. I I really strongly feel like I'm gonna die. Like it's nothing I've ever fe like felt. I've never had that thought before. I've never had this sense that uh, I'm just in any moment I'm gonna die. And I suddenly realize that I'm happy. And I suddenly realize that up until this point, I really feel like I've I've lived a good life. I've had a good childhood. Yes, I've had troubling moments. Yes, I've had, you know, traumas, but I really truly feel like I've had an amazing life. And I'm only 19 years old and I'm thinking to myself, "Okay. Okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for it." You know? And I just I just calm down. And I'm like, I've lived a good life. Actually, I'm, I'm quite excited for this. I, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't get it. But somehow I'm going to die right now. And holy shit, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm fully ready. And as soon as I make that decision, the elevator in the lobby opens. And this guy walks out. And, he, and he's walking. <laughs> he's walking through the lobby. And he sees us. And he stops. And he just stares at us for a second. And he hesitates, and then he continues f forward slowly, and he, like, opens the door, and he just kind of hesitates. And my friend grabs the door and opens it, and he's like, I live here. I just – I forgot my keys upstairs. Don't worry. I, I live here. I live in this room. He says the room number, and he's like, don't don't worry. Don't worry. We're okay. We're just – I just forgot my keys. And the guy goes, oh, okay, yeah. So we go in, and I just remember walking through the threshold of the door, and I looked back. And I looked forward at the elevator, and I was like, what just happened? I was so ready to die in that moment. I was so ready. And it, there was this just sigh of relief, and I laughed to myself. And I was like, oh, my God. This it, Obviously, I'm super ripped on mushrooms, and it's just messing with me, right? But... It was so real. And then we go up into the elevator, go into his apartment, and everything seems normal. Everything seems okay. And I just remember going to his apartment. My friend now is, like, starting his, his like, bad trip or his, like, challenges start to just increase. And he's like, okay, like, you know, let's just – you know, he's trying to take control of the situation, right? So he's like, yeah, why don't we just chill and, and watch a movie or something? So we sit down, r roll like several joints and um, put on The Departed, right? And so before we put it on, we're smoking some weed. And I just remember getting the joint, this cannon, and just inhaling 
and not feeling it. I don't feel it in my lungs. I don't feel anything. I exhale it out. And you know how really like um, cannabis smoke is thick, right? So it like makes you cough and it's and it can be intense, right? But I don't feel anything. And then the joint comes back around me and I'm like, I want to test something out. So I just exhale everything out and then inhale slowly and then keep inhaling, keep inhaling, keep inhaling, keep inhaling, fully inhaling. And I swear I smoked more than half of this massive joint in one pull and even held it in. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I can't even feel this. I don't even feel high. I don't feel a change in anything. And I just exhale everything out. And then they put on the movie. And I'm sitting in a stool. So if you were to think of just a square room. And the farthest corner to your left, if you are sitting at the like top middle of the room and the farthest corner to your left is where the TV is. And my friend is sitting on the floor um, just beside the TV close to where I am. And then my other friends are sitting on the wall to the right on the couches. And I'm sitting on a stool that looks like I'm at the apex of a triangle and we're watching the departed and someone turns off the lights and I'm watching this movie. I'm thinking to myself, this movie is brilliant. This is the most brilliant movie I've ever seen in my life. And I just nonstop. I'm thinking about that. I'm just, man, like everything. And I still remember the opening words, right? Of Jack Nicholson's character. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. And I that just stuck with me. And I was just like, oh, my God, yes, that is amazing. And then everything's gone. Everything's black. I'm sitting there. I look around. I'm like, okay, this is different. I'm gone. I'm gone. I don't know where I am. Everything is black. So I sit there for a minute. And I think to myself, I'm not high on mushrooms anymore. I don't feel the mushrooms. Who am I? As soon as I ask that, my attention shifts up into the left, far enough out into the left where I see myself and now I'm standing and I'm looking at myself standing there but I'm wearing white robes and I'm illuminating white light I have long hair just like I do I have a big beard just like I do bigger beard I look at it and I say out loud in wherever I am Jesus Christ and it just lights me up and I go oh yeah I want to be in there and I go back into the body so that's where I'm going to leave it because the next stage is all about Ajna Chakra and I very much look forward to tell that part of the story because this, this experience that I had when I was 19 years old fundamentally changed everything about who I am. It changed 
everything. And since then, I've done a lot of research. I've done, had a lot of experiences. I've gone through a whole plethora of phenomenal experiences to really allow me to uncover what it is that happened to me in that experience, even to the point on why I saw myself as this illuminated being wearing white robes, right? So, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe to my channel. Check out my website, zorananda.com. It has my book on there. It has my music on there. It has my meditations. A little update, I'm coming out with new music. It's really exciting. It's really amazing. My producer, John, and I have been working with a good friend of mine, Marin, who goes by uh, La Via Moore. And we're doing this really amazing guitar, violin, um, EP. So also, lastly, check out my fiance Alicia's website wildbloombotanicals.com for all your apothecary needs so you can get herbal tinctures teas powders essential oils it's really great i am a witness to everything that she makes and i love them there's some of my favorite are the dream tincture the brain tincture the energy tincture, especially the dream tincture. I love that one the most, the blue lotus. It really helps me um, fall, like not only fall asleep, but it helps me stay asleep. So if you find that you're the type of person where you wake up in the middle of the night and it's hard to go back to sleep, it's really helpful to take something like the dream tincture where it has these certain combination of herbs where it keeps you in that kind of theta delta state so you can have that deep restful sleep. Lastly, if you've heard any noises like barking, walking around, that's my dog, Rupert. He loves you. I love you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day.